Okay, ladies and gentlemen, before we get to this next episode of the podcast, we have a couple of voicemails we've got to check in on. Number one, we are going to check in with our good friend, regular caller, Jason Rogers. He has some thoughts on the Clemson game and a really, really close prediction of what the score of the Lafayette game was. And for those of you who are asking, he called on Thursday. He got it in before before the game was played. This is a really good uh, really good prediction. So let's listen to Jason now. Hello to the Bull City Coordinator. I uh, just want to call and uh, give my prediction on here and just also say thanks for all you've done for us as fans as usual. As you can tell, my voice is still a little hoarse. It's Thursday. Just got done listening to the, your wonderful podcast, uh, the interview with the, uh, I guess it would be the PR man from uh, from Lafayette. And, uh, man, that was really, uh, that's really good that, uh, that just to speak about the history of the of the college there, and uh, the league they're in, and and what they do as a football program, you know, I, I didn't know a lot of this stuff, and uh, just to be a transparent with you, and I'm sure a lot of people don't, being that they're from the Patriot League, uh, so I actually had two scores. I, I was leaning one way, then I then I heard your dad, and he gave me some confidence to uh, maybe uh, sharpen my pencil a little bit. One thing that did uh, it did scare me a little bit, but I'm going to lean towards your dad a little bit or lean on your dad's wisdom a little bit is that they uh, they take a lot of time off the clock. So that's what changed my mind to one score, but I'm going to go more of a confident score here. I think we're going to do a 42 to 10 uh, win over uh, Lehigh Leopards. I do feel like our athletes are uh, miles ahead of their athletes, so I, I really feel confident that that's going to prevail. And uh, so I'm going to make mention one thing about the uh, Clemson game is, uh, man, we had a good time, love it, but we got to put it behind us and we got to really concentrate on this game coming up Saturday at 6 p.m. I hope to see a lot of the uh, faces out there in the stands. And uh, I know you'll see uh, uh, Cash and I will be there as usual. And, uh, man, Ben, go get that milk, and you better bring some roses with it this time. Again, as always, go Duke. Jason, thank you for the comments. I'm glad you enjoyed the episode. I thought Charlie Berman was a great guest. We all learned a lot about Lafayette. Dad also had some very good comments. He had clearly done his homework, and I think what – we talked about on the podcast proved to be accurate. Lafayette came out there, ran the ball and tried to make it a, a a short game. But fortunately the blue devils were able to get going and got a really, really good win on a crazily short week. I mean, that had to be really, really hard for those guys, but Hey, they turned it around and really passed the test. And Jason, I'm glad that you are listening and I'm glad that you are enjoying the podcast. Now our next call is from, Tyler Lester. He has called in a lot and I appreciate it. And he has some really good thoughts on how Duke has, how Duke fared against Lafayette. And he also has some questions about the ACC as a whole. 
let's listen to what Tyler has to say now. Hey, Tyler Lester. So a bit of a two-parter this time. Um, the first part kind of focuses more on Duke. And, you know, great to win 42-7. to But how, I guess, concerning is the run defense early on? You know, it's, it's two weeks in. And, again, you know, 42-7, to we've given up seven points in back-to-back weeks. But if there was one legitimate spot where it's like, you know, if someone's going to beat us, how are they going to do it? The run defense right now, in my opinion, is probably the one spot where we've really, really, you know, might have to put in some work or that could kind of be a bugaboo, especially against, you know, like a Notre Dame, a Florida State. Those are the kind of teams that if we don't tighten up on, those might get ugly. And the second part, um, we've kind of had discussions about it already, but if you take away Virginia and Boston College, who, again, that matchup is going to be the best matchup of the year in the ACC. The ACC is also probably the hottest start I can remember as a conference in a really long time. Thank you for the call, Tyler. Your comments about the run defense, I can understand it, especially how we were pretty porous against Clemson. I wouldn't be too worried about it in this specific week because of the fact that it was just so short. The turnaround was so quick. There had to be a little bit of emotional kind of let down and then the hectic nature of what they were going through from Tuesday through Friday to get ready to play on Saturday. I would not be too worried about it. And as far as giving up a lot of yards against Clemson, they're a good running team. They have been, I'm not too terribly worried about it. I think that this unit has a bend don't break philosophy to it and they tighten up once the field contracts inside the red zone. So I'm not too worried about that. Now on the question about the ACC, I think we're kind of back where we always are. And to make Joe Ovius and the other Star Wars fans who might hear this happy, I'm going to say that the ACC right now is a little bit like the Bendu from Star Wars Rebels. He thought that the Jedi were too far one way, the Sith were too far another, and the Bendu was the one in the middle. That seems to be where the ACC is as a whole right now, because while you have Florida State doing great, You have UNC, and I know people are saying it was a close game against App State. It's always going to be a close game against App State. It's almost another rivalry game. I'm sorry. UNC's got two good wins. Duke has two good wins for it. Wake Forest is playing well. They just beat Vanderbilt, which is an SEC team. Um, Notre Dame, to the extent that they count, you know, whatever. They're 3-0. But the bottom is really bad. It's a lot like last basketball season. Uh, Holy Cross, and I'm not knocking Holy Cross, but BC should not be in that close of a game to Holy Cross. BC also just lost to NIU before that. And then UVA, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say that hasn't already been said. I mean, Tony Elliott is doing a Carl Franks impersonation in Charlottesville as far as just uh, – it's just the product's not good, and I'm not dogging Carl. I'm just trying to make a comparison there to kind of where UVA is at right now. So the bottom is the bottom. It's a lot like last year's uh, basketball. You know, the top actually wasn't too bad. I mean, Louisville was two and zero. Miami got all the way to the Final Four, and when I said Louisville's two and zero, that's this season. There's some teams who are figuring themselves out, but there's a lot just in the middle. So hopefully, we can get. Again, I'm, I'm going to have to root for Clemson because the ACC needs Clemson to be Clemson to succeed and to do well. So hopefully Clemson will 
continue to turn a corner and do well. We'll see. And Duke will continue to do well. I'm not going to root for Carolina to do well. I'd be fine if they lost all the rest of their games. We'll see what NC State can do. Uh, they're they're struggling a little bit, and offensively they need to pick it up. But speaking of NC State, that is a segue for those of you in the business. We have a call from an NC State fan, Dan Kinchelow. Dan, what do you have to say? Bird, Dan Kinchelow here. That Duke-Clemson game really created some mixed feelings in my household. Um, my girlfriend is a Clemson alum and big Clemson football fan, so she was not happy with the outcome. But uh, I've listened to you enough, and you often know what you're talking about. So I secretly put a little bet on Duke to win, um, which, as we know, worked out pretty well for me. Um, question for you. How do you think – your Blue Devils are going to match up against my Wolf Pack in mid-October. I'll listen for the response. Thanks. Well, Dan, thanks for the call. I'm sorry things are not great in Casa de Kinchelow, but at least you had something good come of the bet that you put down on it. Now, turning to your specific question, though, about NC State. And actually, before I get into that, thank you for listening, Dan. I appreciate it. And thank you for calling in. That's great. I really, I really enjoy that, uh, the fact that we have all these callers and people who've been listening for a while now getting a chance to call in and, and say what they want to say and get on the podcast. So I appreciate you doing that. Here's what I'm thinking about NC State right now. They look beatable. I watched them against UConn. I watched them against Notre Dame. The receivers just are not getting separation. Brennan Armstrong doesn't seem fully comfortable yet, and – Duke just beat a team with the same kind of problems that NC State seems to have. Uh, although I will say this, I'm 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 leaning heavy Duke when Duke plays NC State again, unless something happens between now and then. But based on where we are today, I think you have to be favoring the Blue Devils in that game. What I will say though is, you guys have a good D line and you got a really good linebacker. That's going to keep you all in the game. But I think the problem's going to be is the offense's inability for the Wolfpack to put up points and to keep drives going. So given what we've seen from Riley Leonard, given what we have seen from the receiving core, and we saw the tight end get utilized a little bit more of that position against Lafayette and the running backs, I've got to lean the Blue Devils against the Wolfpack. So those are my thoughts right now. But uh, check back in as we get closer to that game. I'm looking forward to being there in person. Those are the calls we've got so far, so let's turn from the voicemail to the episode itself. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Bull City Coordinators Duke Football Coverage Podcast. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow our website, bullcitycoordinators.com. Send us an email, bullcitycoordinators at gmail.com. Our DMs on Twitter, sorry, that's still what it is, are open. Uh, send us a message if you want to get in touch. now. We, of course, have also added a voicemail line, and you just heard the calls for the next episode. Uh, so if you want to get on, give us a call, 540-632-0160. The more voicemails we get, the more mailbag episodes we will do. We are recording this episode after two nice wins by the Blue Devils. Duke is 2-0 and after beating Clemson on Labor Day and shaking off a sluggish start, although predictable, given the ridicul ridiculously short week uh, leading up to the Lafayette game, and that resulted in a 42-7 win. And the Blue Devils have to follow it up with another home game 
This time it's, it's against Old Foe Northwestern. Our next guest covers the Wildcats and is the managing editor for wildcatreport.com, the Northwestern rival site. Louis Vacare, how are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm glad that uh, we were able to get on and do this. I'm looking forward to it. I want to learn more about about the Wildcats. Uh, But before we get into that, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience and uh, tell us where we can find you on social media and how you ended up covering the Wildcats. Sure. My name is Louis Vicaire. Um, I am the publisher and managing editor of WildcatReport.com. The Twitter handle is at WildcatReport. And uh, I've been covering... Northwestern, this is my 20th season. So I started 2004 was my first season. So it's it's been a long haul. Um, and I, I got this job by uh, answering a message board post one day. But I'm, an, I'm a Northwestern alum. I, you know, I'm a fan as a background and everything. So that's kind of how I uh, got myself into it. And it's my hobby and kind of passion project. There are probably a lot of people who don't know what a message board is who are listening to this <laughs> podcast or only have some vague recollection. I still remember bulletin board systems. Uh, it was a different day for the internet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But we still have message boards that, uh, you know, they keep our community going for sure. They are fantastic. They are fantastic. Well, why don't we get right into the the Wildcats? We all know a little bit about what happened this offseason with the football program, but of course it went a little bit deeper than that, didn't it? It affected some of the other teams there. Yeah, it's a, you know, it was a full-blown scandal. It was uh, ugly. I tell you, it was a rough summer for uh, me and my writers and stuff like that. You know, I've used the word alleged more than I ever have in my writing career over the last couple months. But um, yeah, so what happened was, you know, Northwestern, it was on a Friday, July 7th, that they announced Pat Fitzgerald was going to get a two-week suspension in the middle of July uh, due to the what their findings of this internal investigation about hazing within the program. We had heard that they were doing this investigation. And like six months later, they came out with that announcement. So everybody kind of assumed much ado about nothing. They're only giving them two weeks in the middle of summer when nothing's going on anyway. And then the following day, the Daily Northwestern published an article that had uh, all of the hazing allegations from the whistleblower that started the whole investigation. And it was very kind of explosive stuff, ugly things. And then um, the the school president came out later that day and said, you know, maybe they're going to rethink things. And then Monday they fired them. So it was, it happened fast and furious. And, you know, and since then, or, you know, through July and into August, there was, you know, lawsuits being announced every other day, it seemed like, and more allegations come coming out and it was a, a big, ugly mess. So now they got uh, interim head coach, David Braun, and he's going to be there this season, but, you know, beyond this season, no one knows what Northwestern football is going to look like. You know, they might get rid of everybody on staff. They may retain, like if Braun does a good job, maybe they retain him. Um, you know, he's a guy that just got there in January. So he's brand new. You know, he, he got hired as a defensive coordinator. This is his first power five job. It's his first head coaching job at any level. So this is, uh, you know, it's uncharted territory. And like I said, we don't know, what's going to happen at the end of the year. So Northwestern is kind of in this strange limbo right now. I'm just trying to think about this. When I saw the lawsuits coming down as an attorney myself, I was saying, 
I wouldn't want to be filing necessarily first if I'm bringing cases. I think, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's the part that's going to be weird is how all those are going to play out. I think the cases that are filed a little bit later, probably if there are going to be more that are filed, we'll have a lot more documentary evidence backing them up. And that's where I would be looking as an attorney to say, what is really going on? Who knew what and when? Yeah. Uh, those will be interesting because not having done a lot of criminal work, I have this debate with people all the time. I say, well, you really have to look at what is the evidence. And the problem with, I think, the way that Northwestern handled it was the report got done and they announced the suspension and then they immediately reverse course, which yeah. just made them look weak, made them look like nobody knew what was going on. And I think still, even with the uh, the investigative findings that were done, there's still a lot of unknowns about how far up the top it went, it seems. Which no question. It's, right, which gets into maybe Fitzgerald should have been a little bit more hands-on, but I, I think everybody who's still thinking about that, and it's relevant to what we're seeing with what's going on at Michigan State now, Let's wait and see ultimately what happens at the Title IX hearing uh, and what's concluded. You have the report, then you have to have the Title IX board make its decision, make its finding, make its factual findings. Then, of course, you're going to see the litigation. Um, let's wait till we get all the evidence in to hear everything to make some decisions. But I will say this, and and I sympathize for you guys covering it. Northwestern just did an awful PR job. Oh, it was a clown show. It was a clown show from the outset. I, I mean, you know, for them to come out with these and say at the conclusion of this, that we're giving them two weeks, there was no evidence that he knew that Pat Fitzgerald knew about it and all this kind of stuff. They didn't release the findings of the investigation or anything. And then the next day, all this stuff, you know, hits the fan. And what is it, you know, it makes them look like they were trying to cover this up on a Friday. You know, it was a release on a Friday, give them two weeks, middle of summer. This is going to, we're going to push it under rug and it's going to go away. Then the next day, the article comes out and two days after that, they fire them, right? Based on the same information that you said they didn't find any uh, evidence that Pat Fitzgerald knew about it. So now you're firing them for it. You know, they went from two weeks summer to termination, you know, so I think they, uh, Dr. Schill, the president who said that uh, this was his decision, as well as uh, Derek Gregg, uh, the athletic director. I mean, the way they handled this was uh, unbelievably bad. Like I said, it, it was a clown show. I, I, one thing that everybody, you know, there are some people that don't think Fitz should have gotten fired. Some people think he should. There's a lot of factions right now uh, going at each other in the Northwestern community, but everyone is united in saying that it was handled just terribly from the outset and that, uh, you know, the president, the athletic director, especially in the whole of Northwestern administration really look like amateurs. Well, to your point, as far as whether Fitzgerald should have gotten fired or not, I'll admit, I don't know enough about it. I don't really have an opinion on it one way or another from the perspective of, you had a good argument that he didn't know enough about what was going on with his program, which I think could be enough to say yes. we need to make a change. But if I remember correctly, he's got a four cause provision in his contract for what he can be fired for. And if you're Northwestern and you previously said, Hey, two weeks is all you get. 
Odds yeah. are he's going to be successful in his lawsuit. It's going to be hard for Northwestern to backpedal from. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. And he he hired Dan Webb, who's a very high-profile, powerful attorney in Chicago. He's like a he's a big name here. They haven't filed yet. You know, he's only responded to the report, and there's been a you know a few other lawsuits coming that name him specifically. And they always say you know evidence. They come out with a statement that says he still hasn't been. You know, the, this investigation that took six months didn't find him liable. And what Schill said initially, so after the, uh, the, the Daily Northwestern story came out, Schill said, well, you know, we punished him because, um, you know, they say he didn't know. But he opened the door and said, but he, you know, he's going to look at what Fitzgerald should have known. And that's what he based the decision to fire him on is what he said. Now, I think that's certainly plausible that he should have known he gets paid a lot of money and he's, he was there 17 years. Believe me, Fitz was in complete control of that program. And this is something he should have known if he didn't. So that's why they terminated him, but how they can give him two weeks and then turn around three days later and terminate him, That's where it gets dicey. Yeah, and I agree with with you to the point that should have known is a really hard thing for him to get around. The problem Northwestern has, again, and I don't do a lot of employment or breach contract work, but I do try cases. And the one fact that I would really want to wave before the jury if I were the Fitzgerald's lawyer is the announcement about the two-week suspension. Mm -hmm. And they don't really have – they didn't learn anything new. No when they change their mind. So where's your four cause? What happened? What new fact did you learn? There's going to be a lot of really tailored discovery about that. And, and frankly, if they had just said, well, we're going to suspend them. We're going to increase the duration of the suspension with all these lawsuits that are coming out Northwestern. If they made a decision now to terminate them would have been in a much better spot, which again, goes back to this point. All these people who work at Northwestern are very intelligent and very educated. And we're seeing it with what happened with Michigan State, that disaster of a press conference they had. I mean, about Mel Tucker, you know, how is it that these people at top institutions are so bad at something so basic that they can't even get a PR firm to handle the messaging part of it for them? Yeah, I, I agree with you 100. And um, you know, Dr. Schill is a uh, law professor. You know, by by trade, that's that's what his education is in, and it's it's just really shocking the whole thing. And and on top of that, you know, uh, Dr. Greg, I don't know how far you got into it, but um, you know, he was uh, on vacation when this whole thing broke, and you know, he, he like players were saying they didn't find it, you know, they had to find everything out on Twitter and he didn't talk to them directly. And then after they fired Fitz on Monday, he was at this meeting. So they held a whole team meeting and he did it by zoom call, which, you know, they couldn't believe that he didn't come in. And then he made a statement and didn't stick around even for questions. So it was just bungled uh, you know, every aspect of this was just handled so poorly, you know, and I think, uh, it just made it so much worse. It's it's really bizarre. I mean, it's it it's just really bizarre, and it puts um, the guys who are there now in such a tough position. And I mean, we yeah. we could do episodes upon episodes about this, but let let's talk a little bit about how the football team itself is handling 
all the controversy they've had to deal with. I'm a big believer in the one thing that can really heal you and get you back to normal is going back to work. Uh, and that's, that is the one thing that is a cure all in many instances is the fact that these guys are playing football now and back in their routine. Has that helped them at all? Yeah, I think so. I don't think there was a team in America that was more looking forward to the start of the season than Northwestern. Now, having said that, see, I thought in the opener, we would, would have seen that against Rutgers. Instead, they came out and kind of laid an egg in week one and they got pushed around and they fell behind early and really, you know, they lost uh, 24 to seven, but the game was not that close and they scored with 19 seconds to go and it was garbage time, you know? So it was a really disappointing performance. And then this week they bounced back, you know, this was uh, this game against UTEP, um, UTEP scored on their first possession. It was seven to seven at halftime. And it looked like, you know, this they, Northwestern looked a lot like they did in week one. And then the second half, they caught fire. They scored 38 points, which is almost like half a season's worth of points the last couple of years. You know, Northwest, that was the most points they've scored since the season opener in 2020. You know, the offense just exploded in the second half. And, you know, it was great to see the players and coaches smiling and celebrating and all that. You know, they've been through a lot. And it was, uh, I think, a very cathartic win and uh, very emotional for the team. So you had to feel good for those players, especially, you know, they had a 12 game losing streak dating the last year. They hadn't won since last August. They hadn't won at home since October of 2021. So this, this was a, it was a big, big win and they really needed to get that under their belts. And uh, now hopefully they're back to, you know, playing the kind of football I think they may be capable of. Well, one, one thing that I wanted to also ask you about is because the Blue Devils got Jeremiah Lewis back, which uh, yeah. I was glad to see him come back. Uh, he's got a thumb or an arm issue. I'm not really sure which. I've heard two different things, but he played great against Clemson. He had a great game. He was all over the field. I know that from the recruiting perspective, Northwestern's taken a hit because of this, as you'd expect, but also the transfers. Can you tell us? how depleted, if at all, the roster is from the people who have left as a result of this? Yeah, they're down. There's no question about it. Um, they lost, I think it is six transfers, but um, five of them were freshmen, you know, so they were incoming freshmen. And those are the ones you can understand the most leaving the program, right? They just started their clock. And so, and, and I'll tell you, they lost some good ones because they ended up at, you know, Oklahoma and Ohio State and Auburn, you know, they landed at some good programs. So, it was very disappointing to see them leave. But in terms of this season, I think Lewis is really the only one, you know, he was a returning starter. He started all 12 games last year. He was going to be a starter this year. Um, so he's the guy that I think that really would have an impact on this season. The other guys, you know, maybe a couple of them could have gotten on the two deep or something, but I don't think there were any starters there and, and you never know with freshmen anyway. So, um, but he was definitely a loss and, you know, I don't think anybody blames him. Uh, David Brown talked about it in the, in the press conference today that, uh, you know, he really admires him as a football player. I thought he was a good player and he doesn't, you know, begrudge him leaving and, you know, with so much uncertainty and, you know, he came there for one year and they went one and 11 and then the coach gets fired over the summer. You know, he's, he went through a pretty tumultuous period here in Evanston. So it's completely understandable that uh, he wanted to uh, get out and go back to Duke. Well, let's talk a little bit about the 
let's talk a little bit about the strengths of the team. What has Northwestern done well? And then maybe what are some areas that they need to work on? Yeah, I, th- I think the defense has been pretty good, especially compared to the previous two years. So, you know, this is David Braun's system. Um, it's much more like Mike Hankwitz. Oh, Mike Hankwitz was the longtime coordinator that retired in 2020. The last two years they had Jim O'Neill. Um, he brought a system, they call it the star system, kind of five D-backs most of the time is kind of their base set. And that was a disaster. They couldn't stop the run the last couple of years. They gave up a lot of big plays and um, it was without a doubt a disaster. So they brought in David Braun and his his much more kind of the uh, they run much more of a four three. They play back. They they'll, they'll play a shell in the back half and kind of keep everything in front of them. It's sort of a bend but don't break, which is much more like Mike Hankwitz. Um, and they got off to a rough start against Rutgers. First two times Rutgers had the ball, they had sixteen play touchdown drives and. It was looking pretty gruesome. But then after that, you know, they only gave up 10 points and they were on short fields and they looked pretty good. And then the same thing happened on uh, Saturday uh, against UTEP. First drive, they go down and get a touchdown, but then they shut them down the rest of the way. I I think the strength is the secondary. The back half is pretty good. They got um, three returning starters, you know, playing a lot at linebacker, Brendan Gallagher and Xander Mueller, especially two of their guys. Those guys have played a lot of football, made a lot of tackles for them. And they got a couple of good safeties in there. They got in the secondary, Coco Ozma uh, at safety, Jaheim Joseph, um, Rod Hurd. Those guys have played a lot of football. So I think they're, they're pretty solid there. The question mark is up front, you know, whether they'll be able to stop the run. Um, they're a little bit thin up there. But, um, you know, Saturday was uh, very encouraging. I'll say that on on both sides of the ball, but certainly defense. And oh, yeah. And then in terms of what uh, they need to work on, well, there's I I think the biggest question mark is the offensive line. They really had problems protecting Ben Bryant. He got sacked five times against Rutgers and they had a lot of TFL. They were much better, but he was still getting some pressure. Um, And, you know, I think that they have they have to be they have to get a lot better up front quickly, I think, to be able to compete. It's interesting. They were in a five defensive back set, given you got to go up against teams like Wisconsin every year, which, uh, which yeah, can but, really run the ball and is always just, I mean, they've always been a good running team. You can, I mean, that makes sense why you'd struggle in the big 10 or 20. Yeah, well, and, and they were multiple to be fair here. You know, they, they'd go four, three, sometimes they go four, two with five D backs and, Whatever it was, you know, they, they kind of messed around with a few different things, but whatever it was, was not working, you know, and, and the biggest problem was they couldn't stop the run. That was always Northwestern strength is they'd stop the run and try to limit the big plays. And if you're going to go with the, you know, drive the field, they're going to make you snap it 10, 15 times or something like that, you know, you know, see if you can make a mistake on the way, get behind the chains. And the last couple of years, they just, it hasn't been like that. I think, I think they were 119th in the country against the run in 2021. And then last year they were 110th. So that was their biggest problem. Well, one thing that I'd like to ask a little bit about uh, here is, and it feels like I remember when Duke and Northwestern started playing in the nineties a lot. And those were some good matchups, although the teams weren't always particularly great. Uh, One thing that I've always kind of felt about Northwestern during the Fitzgerald era is it was never an easy out. It was always a tough game. 
they were going to hang around. Uh, and I want to transition that to talk about the new head coach. It, tell us, does, is, does he have that same kind of mindset, that kind of tough, hard-nosed mindset? And maybe if you can, just tell us more about what we should know about him. Yeah, David Braun, I, I think he is kind of an old school guy. I mean, I, you know, he talks a lot about complimentary football, and that was one of Fitz's buzzwords, too. Um, so I think what they really got away from it in week one, but we saw last week is, you know, they can run the ball. If they, if they can run the ball, eat some clock, and then defensively, like I said, it's more the bend but drunk break. So they'll play zone in the back half, try to keep everything in front of you, in front of them tackle well make you drive the field that's that's kind of i think the mo this isn't a you know northwestern rarely has kind of explosive athletes they have one aj henning this year you know the transfer from michigan is a guy with some speed that can potentially blow the top off a of defense and certainly he's he's an electric return man too so that they have a little bit of that this year but over over the years you know they don't make a lot of big plays they they're a grinding team offensively and defensively that's kind of what they do um, and under Fitz, that, that's exactly what they did. It was, you know, play solid defense, run the ball, and and don't make mistakes. Win the turnover battle. And, and that formula, you know, I th- they had, I think it was like the second most one-score wins during his tenure. They, they had like 49 of them um, over a period of, I think it was, I don't know, it was 15 years. I can't remember the exact numbers. But that's, that's how they won games. That was their MO. And, uh, you know, they really got away from that the last couple of years. And I think that's kind of the what the direction Braun is going. And, you know, personality wise, he doesn't have, you know, Fitz was a very magnetic personality and things like that. David Braun is much more of a no nonsense guy, no nonsense guy, very earnest, very honest guy. And, uh, you know, his players love him. And I think, you know, since the beginning, the way he's dealt with everything and including with the media and, and everything he's done so far, he's he's been pretty impressive. I've been pretty impressed with uh, how he's done so far, especially given that this is his first job, not only in Power Five, it's his first head coaching job at any level of his life. So he's got a lot. He's in an impossible situation, and I think he's doing just about as as well as you can. Yeah, there's not really a playbook for how to inherit a team under these circumstances and no. do well. I mean, I, you know, it's not like this is a situation he created, and I can't imagine how difficult it is. One thing I'd, I'd like to go over with you as we continue to talk about these teams, uh, about, about this matchup that we've got coming up on Saturday, uh, what do you think that the Wildcats can do to put pressure on the Blue Devils? What do you think, I shouldn't say that, will give maybe the blue devils fits because we got to factor that term out. But what do you think will be a challenge for the blue devils when they, when they play Northwestern on Saturday? Yeah. Well, I, you know, what they'd like to do, I think is kind of what I've been describing. So they're going to try to, you know, contain the running game, try to keep Riley Leonard in the pocket. Right. So he doesn't extend plays and freelance where he can kill you. And then, you know, in the back half, they'll play a zone. They'll try to keep things in front of them, make tackles. And then if, if you know, Duke is going to drive for a touchdown, make them snap it 15 times. You know, that that's going to be what they try to do defensively. And offensively, I think what hopefully what they learned on Saturday is they can be effective when they run the ball. I think, you know, they've got Cam Porter's a 220-pounder. You know, he's a legit 
Big Ten running back. He's he, if they can. I think the line is much better run blocking than they are pass blocking. So I think it's really critical for them to establish that running game, try to slow down that pass rush a little bit and, you know, try to, you know, get on the right side of the chains, you know, pick up some yardage on first down, get some third and shorts, you know, so you're not into obvious passing downs. Cause I think that's where, you know, the offensive line has struggled and they, they don't have a lot of big play kind of guys. So I think the running game is going to be critical on Saturday. Let's look at the flip side of that coin. What do you think that Duke will be able to do that will cause problems for Northwestern? Well, I think it starts with Leonard, right? I mean, he's a he's a pretty dynamic quarterback. I, I saw quite a bit of that Clemson game and really impressive running the ball. I, I didn't realize he had quite that much uh, mobility. And, you know, Braun talked about him today. You know, he was saying if, if you could drop the ideal quarterback, he's saying, you know, Riley Leonard's pretty close. You know, that guy can make plays. And some mobile quarterback like that has always given Northwestern's defense fits, and he can be a problem. And I think that's where it starts. And, you know, Duke is, though, it's balanced. You can run. I saw the numbers last week. They were they had 511 yards, I think it was, and it was 260-something passing and 250-something running. You know, that's – that's a dangerous offense, I think. And it's, uh, you know, Duke has won four straight in this series too, you know, so it's uh, Northwestern's got, you know, quite a bit on its plate for Saturday. It's going to be an uphill climb for sure. One thing you mentioned about Duke's offense is coach Johns is really good at finding ways to run the ball, finding ways to get balance. You wouldn't necessarily think about it, but he really does. And to go back to what you were talking about with complimentary football, they find a way to do it. And you saw it mm-hmm. last year with Duke would do a hurry up. They'd get to the line and then they'd wait. They wouldn't snap after five or six seconds. They'd take their time. They'd go 15, they'd go 20 seconds before they snap the ball. Very helpful. Another thing, we saw a little bit of it against Lafayette. Maybe we'll see some more of it is the tight end got rediscovered. And if you're talking about running a zone and you're talking about trying to keep things in front of you and come down to contain the quarterback, someone's going to be open. Maybe it's the running back going out for a pass. Maybe it's the tight end, but hopefully we can see Nikki Dalmolin get the ball more because that could cause some more matchup problems. You mentioned, I was surprised. I was looking at, at Winspedia, um, that that Duke has won four straight, but the last two matchups have been really close. So let's transition and segue into predictions for this coming week. What do you think, uh, who do you think the winner will be and what do you think the score is going to be? Yeah, I, I think Northwestern, they, they got a lot stacked against them. I think Duke has some weapons. You, you mentioned Kevin Johns. He, he was a former wide receivers coach at Northwestern. Quite, a, you know, when I first started, he was he was there for a number of years. And Adam Cushing also was a offensive line coach at Northwestern, and so a while ago. So we know those guys well. But um, the game Saturday, yeah, I think you know it's it's on the road. It's always tough going down there early in the season. It's always warm. You know, Northwestern's always had a tough time down there to begin with. I think uh, right now this team, you know, they're still trying to figure things out offensively. Um, you know, Ben Bryant has been a little inconsistent, but he's been under a lot of pressure. You know, can they protect them a little bit more? 
Um, they've used, they've already had four quarterbacks take snaps this year. So it's, it's been kind of wild. And they've got this guy, Jack Lausch, that they like to use as their wildcat guy. And Brian Holinsky had to come back and play last week. So um, they're starting, they're trying to figure things out. I think what they need to start establishing is that running game. I think that will do them if they can get that established early, maybe they'll have a little bit of chance they can hang around. And then defensively, like I talked about, contain that run, keep Leonard in the pocket, keep everything in front of you. That's what they'll try to do. But I think it's a little bit too tall a task at this point in the season that there's, there's just too many moving parts right now. They haven't figured out a whole lot. So I think, uh, if I had to pick this game right now, I would pick uh, Duke to win by, you know, maybe 27-17, something like that. I think it's, uh, you know, I feel much better about Northwestern than I did last, you know, Friday before the UTEP game when, I, you know, things looked pretty bad after that Rutgers game. They looked much better in week two, which is what you'd like to see between week one and week two should be a big jump. So maybe they can improve again. I, did, I don't think that they can uh, – take down a team like Duke that has looked pretty darn impressive early. I think they're a little bit overmatched and especially being on the road. That's a, that's a tough task. Well, I think that that's a good analysis. Uh, I think you hit all the points I was going to hit, so I will be short. I think that Duke being a more veteran team, having figured themselves out and is not going through the crisis that Northwestern has had to go through to get where it is now. If this game were a little bit later, you might think of it differently. Um, but we're fortunate to catch Northwestern early, not, of course, wishing what, you know, those football players and those coaches are dealing with on anybody. But I'm going to take Duke and I'm going to take them by a score of 35 to 17. I think our D-line and our secondary are going to shine. And I also think that the offense is going to be able to do enough because we've got we've got a good O-line. Uh, we've got running backs. uh Although after Jordan Waters got stripped of that ball by the Lafayette guy, I think he's going to come out running angry with something to prove. And, and it wouldn't surprise me if maybe Nikki Dalmolin gets a few more opportunities. Uh, I think it may be closer early, but as the game goes on, the Blue Devils will just kind of wear them down and get to the win. So I'm going to go 35 to 17 rare moment of positivity for me in my life as a, <laughs> as a Blue Devils fan. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up watching them and people who listen have heard this, but I grew up watching them, you know, in the right at the end of the Spurrier era was where I really had my first memories of the program. So you're talking about some bad years under Coach Wilson, one good year under really good year on Goldsmith. And then just after that, until Cutcliffe showed up, yeah. uh, a lot of pain, a lot of pain. And then, of course, you know, the end of the Cutcliffe era was what it was, but I'm excited now. So I'm, I'm very positive. And we also have a, another guest picker. We are going to get a voicemail from former Duke running back, Joe Ajibi, friend of the podcast and attorney who has been on before. He is going to call in with his prediction and we are going to listen to Joe now. Hey, how's it going? This is Joe Ajibi, former Duke running back calling from California leaving my prediction for this Saturday's game. I think that we're going to see another great performance. Got those boys out there playing the way that we that we want to see our Blue Devils play, coming off a two-strong wins, especially that week one win versus Clemson. 
I think we've seen a lot of good things from our offense, but we've seen some great things from our defense. You know, um, those boys are going out there and they're, they're laying hat on the football and they're uh, playing good in the, all three phases in the kicking game. I think that was really impressive to see week one versus Clemson. So I think that we're going to see uh, more of the same from, from the Duke Blue Devils this Saturday. Uh, Northwestern has, has had some struggles this season, it looks like, and I don't think that I don't think that they're going to be uh, be any match that the, that our team can't handle. Score, I'm thinking. Uh, I think we're going to see 28, 28 to 10, Blue Devil victory. And so I'm I'm excited to see what what happens this weekend. I'm excited to see Riley Leonard and and, and the boys in the backfield get the job done. We have some, some great receivers on the outside, so it'll be a it'll be fun to watch. Can't wait to tune in. All right. Thank you, Joe, for that. I really appreciate it. Uh, you were kind enough to take some time to call in. I know how busy you are, and I really appreciate it, and I'm glad that we've been able to stay in touch over the years, and maybe we can get you back on the podcast here soon uh, and do another interview with you, and we can talk more about the transfer portal and college football and the Blue Devils generally. Looks like we've got one more call. It will not be coming from my wife. That's not because I got the milk. Don't tell her, but I still have not gotten that yet. Also, the boy is not doing a this week in sports call in. He's been really busy with soccer this week. So he had to drop this off of his plate. I told him no excuses, play like a champion. But we do have a check in from Rich Landia. So let's see what he has to say about how things are in that wonderful, wonderful world of delusion and fantasy in which we all wish we could live. Well, hello again from Richlandia, and uh, I'm sorry things aren't always perfect here. I know I predicted our Blue Devils to beat Lafayette um, 42 to 10, and they only won 42 to 7, so my apologies for being uh, so far off on the final score. Uh, quick look at Northwestern this week's upcoming opponent. They opened the season losing to Rutgers and had to score very late in the contest to avoid being shut out. But they followed that up uh, this past weekend by beating the University of Texas at El Paso, formerly known as Texas Western, uh, pulling away late uh, for a comfortable win in that contest. Uh, they're averaging less than 100 yards per game on the ground and just under 200 yards per game through the air. Uh, their third down conversion rate is 42.3%, and they've gone one for three on fourth, uh, fourth down so far this season. They have uh, uh, done a great job of splitting things up and uh, running the ball and passing the ball 61 times uh, so far through two games. They have a 60% uh, completion rate uh, passing. And um, uh, should be a challenge because uh, it took a great play by our defense to uh, hang on after getting an early lead against those guys last year. Uh, a little concerned about uh, Riley's uh, left arm. Looked like he dinged it a couple of times in the game close together, uh, a couple of plays apart, uh, including the second time when uh, – a defensive player got flipped into him, and uh, his left arm got kicked, and you could see a little spot there on his arm later. However, Balin looked pretty good, uh, getting uh, quite a few snaps, threw the ball well, ran a couple of times, and I think if we uh, had to depend on him, uh, we'd be okay. I think after a full week off, this team will be rested and more focused and a little more uh, uh, emotional and uh, prepared from the mental side of things uh, to do well against Northwestern. I'm going to go Duke 31, Northwestern 13, as we get to 3-0, still on our way to 10-2. That's all from Richlandia. Let's go Duke. All right, Dad. Wonderful prediction. And they're 2-0. and 
eight more wins, they get to 10 and two. And ladies and gentlemen, if that happens, Richlandia is all around us. Well, let's see. You you were kind enough to come on. We got the little calendar snafu straightened out. You got me out of cleaning out the dishwasher, which I appreciate. Uh, that was a big help for me. So one thing that I like to do is give you a chance to plug anything you'd like to plug uh, and give you an open mic to talk about anything that you'd like to talk about. You've been kind enough to come on and answer a lot of my questions. So I want to uh, return the favor and give you the floor. Uh, okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I don't really have anything to plug, you know, Northwestern rival site uh, is wildcatreport.com. So we're on the rivals network and, you know, we got a lot of stuff on Twitter at wildcat report. Um, you know, one thing I was going to ask you a question though, putting my journalism hat on. So, you know, Northwestern, they could be looking for a coach at the end of the year. That's a very likely possibility, depending on how coach Braun does, you know, um, this year we, the future's all up in the air, but it's, I think that's a very likely outcome. And I look at, you know, David Cutcliffe had a pretty successful run at Duke last couple of years though, you know, it, it wasn't too pretty. Um, and then Mike Elko comes in and the first year they make a bowl game and now they're ranked. They pull off a big win over Clemson. What, what do you think he's done to get things turned around and so quickly in Durham? Well, I'm going to say a couple of things about that. One of which um, I think is kind of an open secret. I don't know how secretive it is, is a lot of the guys who were there were just, they were not having a good time towards the end of Cutcliffe's era. And uh, we could talk about why that is. And I, I don't think now is the time necessarily for me to do that. Um, but I think it might be a symptom that you see crop up a lot of times. Coaches are not, don't usually stay as long as Coach Cutcliffe did, right? And it's very rarely a happy ending for a lot of coaches. So I think one of the things was that the people who were, who stayed there, who did not transfer out, were just happy to play football again they had fun again and they were not having a lot of fun those last couple of years under coach Cutcliffe. That was one thing. The other thing, and uh, I would, you know, I'm sure you haven't listened yet, but go listen to season three of the podcast, the interview that I did with Colby Campbell. I think it was the second interview of the season. And he will tell you everything you need to know about what was wrong with the strength and conditioning program at Duke under coach Cutcliffe. That was the that was a big problem, and strength and conditioning is very important at every school, but it's particularly important at a place like Duke, and I'm sure at a place like Northwestern, where you don't have the bodies that a lot of other schools have because of the academic requirements, and it's just it's hard. You you know you can't get as many as many kids in. It's it's just not as easy. But the coach Feely coming in really turned around the the conditioning of the program and really elevated these guys. If I had to say how he's been able to turn it around, those are the two things that come to mind. One thing though, that I want to say in former blue devil uh, and current uh, defensive coordinator uh, for a high school team that I'm spacing on, I'm sorry, Carlos, but Carlos Ray and I've had a lot of conversations about that. He said he got a really good vibe for coach Elko when coach Elko hired Kevin Johns to be his offensive coordinator. He said to me, uh, Carlos did. He said, you know what? If you're a defensive guy 
and you become a head coach, you have got to hire an offensive coordinator who can be a head coach. That has to be your first choice every time. You can't get a guy that you just want to be your backup. You got to got to hire a guy you know you may lose soon. And that's okay. And he said the same is true if you're an offensive guy, your defensive coordinator has to be someone who can go get a job, which Jimbo Fisher did it with Mike Elko, right? right. So I think I think that coach Elko hired people who can and will succeed and I think he's okay with them you know, God forbid they they get jobs they can't turn down and leave Durham, but I don't think he's going to have the same concerns that some other coaches have about hiring guys who leave. Um, yeah. If, if I was going to narrow it down to three things, and there's probably a lot more, those are the three things that I would point to, yeah. uh, and and how he turned it around so successful, uh, so successfully, and so quickly. Yeah. Well, that's that's one thing, you know, Northwestern fans are hoping that this doesn't, you know, put them in a five year hole that's going to take a long time to get out of. And, you know, and and I, I think if you hire the right guy like a Mike Elko, he you can turn things around quickly, as he's already shown. But, you, you know, you got to get that right guy. And right now, I don't have a whole lot of confidence that the Northwestern administration will be able to get that guy the way it's presently constructed. So. We'll see if changes are coming there as well. We don't know. Everything's kind of up in the air. You know, everybody's just going to try to – fans are just going to try to enjoy this season. You know, the, the expectation bar is low. Maybe they'll pull off a surprise or two this year. But, um, you know, what are we'll the, see. Yeah, and along those lines, what are the biggest challenges on Northwestern's schedule, do you think? Well, I, I mean – the big, I, I thought their best chance at a Big Ten win was against Rutgers. You know, I think that was their biggest chance, and they, they already let that one go. And, you know, they got Penn State coming on the schedule, and then, you know, Wisconsin, and the, the usual Big Ten West. And they're going to be underdogs, I'm sure, every week, probably double-digit underdogs. Um, they do have another, you know, uh, so they had UTEP. Their other, their last non-conference game will be Howard, and that's, that's not coming until October. So that's – that's a game they should win, but other than that, they're going to have to pull off a surprise. I think that uh, to post another win, and you know, you never know. North Northwestern has always done that. You know, they'll they'll surprise you. They'll win a game you never thought they would, and oftentimes they lose a game you ne- they you never thought they would too. That's kind of been their mo over the years, and I th- I think you know people would just uh, if they can pull off a surprise or two, you know, get things. Like I said, the bar is low. This team won one game last year, you know, so whoever is the coach, it was not going to be an outstanding season by any stretch. But, uh, you know, I think if they could win three, four games or something, I think it'd be looked at as a pretty successful season. Well, uh, except for on Saturday, we'll be rooting for you. So I, <laughs> I got no love for Ohio State. I got no love for Michigan. And you all know how I feel about Maryland. But I do want to say, Louie, I appreciate you coming on. This was a great interview. It was very informative. And everybody, please uh, continue to support us. Go to the site, uh, BullCityCoordinators.com. Go to the rival site. You can learn a lot. This has been very informative. We're going to keep doing these interviews. We're going to keep giving you a chance to get you get. Uh, we're going to keep doing these interviews. We're going to keep giving you a chance to get to know your opponent. If you want to get on the podcast, leave us a voicemail, 540-632-0160. And as always, go Duke. <laughs>